0: Welcome, welcome, welcome. How's we doing this morning? Awesome. How many of you guys love baptisms? I love baptisms. They're great. Wow, like three of you. <laughs> rest of you need Jesus. Come on now. How many of you love baptisms? Come on. There we go. See, now that's the kind of response we're supposed to say with me. Like, how many of you love Jesus? Woo! <laughs> like all four of you love Jesus. So that's all right. The rest of you just need Jesus. It's all good. It's all good. Well, hey, if you're new with us, my name is Jason. I'm one of the pastors here. It is so great to have you see yeah. Those are words. Apparently, I've used my quota of words this morning. It's so great to have you all here with us. Um, We know you could have chosen to be anywhere else, and you chose to be with us. And so, thank you. Uh, We're so glad you came. Uh, We're in this series on Galatians where we've been studying uh, the epistle, which is basically a fancy word for letter that Paul wrote to a church in Galatia. And here's why we're doing this. Some people are like, Jason, we like topical, we like, you know, let's talk on like happiness or talk about finances or whatever, but here's the thing. Most people don't know how to read their Bibles well, and, and it's part of it is because of how we've taught people to read the Bibles is in little short sections, right? You have a verse. How many of you guys have a favorite verse? Come on. Some of you have a favorite verse, right? A life verse, and here's the problem. Most of the time when we read those, they're usually out of context, There's always a story behind it. And so when we're going to be spending time through the letters and we're calling it Passport because we're really journeying into another church, another location, 2,000 years ago, a church that existed. And here's the thing. This is filled with real people, with real issues, real problems, just like Zion has problems, just like you have problems. They had problems. And as we begin to read Scripture in light of itself, in the context of itself, we discover that we're not that different from 2,000 years ago. Yeah, we have more technology, our problems may shape differently, but they're still at the the core of the same issue. And so this letter to the church in Galatia was written by a guy named Paul. Now Paul didn't start off as a normal apostle. He's the most famous apostle, apart from maybe Peter, uh, because he wrote most of the New Testament, 13 of the 27 books in the New Testament, this guy Paul wrote and paul started off not as a christian but an enemy of the church he he was actually a devout jew he loved god he loved yahweh he believed in the scriptures in the old testament but he did not believe that this thing called christianity the church also called the way was from god he believed he was on a personal mission to destroy the church that that was god's calling in his life until he had an encounter he was on his road to on the road to damascus and Jesus appears to him. And when Jesus appeared to him, it was like all of a sudden he realized, he, he discovered that the God that he was worshiping, he was also persecuting. He needed a shift, a paradigm shift, a reality change. And this is what takes place. And so now we have some years later, Paul goes on missionary journeys, begins to do amazing work. And during his first missionary journey, he founds this church in Galatia. Now, Paul was an apostle. And what apostles do, even to this day, you have little a apostles, which are people who love to start churches. How many of you have ever been to a church plant before, new church? We have one that's actually uh, happening right now. It's a year old in Mason City. Uh, Zion at one point was a church plant. At one point, this was not a church, then it became a church. Paul, as an apostle, capital A apostle, was sent from the Lord, and he went about basically starting churches. And his calling was primarily to the Gentiles. Now, this is going to matter because as we read Galatians, last week we started and we got through about six verses. We're going to finish the rest of chapter one today. Paul is dealing with this church that is filled with a lot of new believers. The church itself is maybe seven to ten years old and it's primarily made up of Gentile believers, but there are Jewish Christians as well. Now, if you're not familiar with the term Gentile, it just means non-Jew. So either you're Jewish or you're anything else is a Gentile. How many of you are Gentiles? I'm a Gentile, right? So the church in Galatia was filled with Gentiles, and there was this group called the Judaizers. And the Judaizers were Jewish Christians who believed in Jesus. They believed Jesus died on the cross. They believe he rose from the dead. But they also believed that Jesus was Jewish. All the apostles were Jewish. So it only standed to reason that in order to be a Christian, you must first become a Jew. And the Judaizers were going around to Gentiles, these people who weren't raised Jewish, and saying, listen, that's great that you trust Jesus, but before you can become a Christian, what you first need to do is to get circumcised. And all the men went, nope. (laughs) You need to stop eating certain foods. You're not allowed to have pork. And that's a bummer because bacon is good. Bacon is tov. That was from we're gonna make a shirt that says bacon is tov. Tov is Hebrew for good, by the way. And then you had to you had to take Saturdays off. That was called the Sabbath. And these Judaizers didn't like Paul because Paul was going to the Gentiles and not telling them that they needed to be Jewish. In fact, he was saying all you need is faith, and that's what's going on in the Book of Galatians as this church, this newly formed church that's just a few years old, is struggling because, one, they don't understand the Scriptures. They don't understand the Old Testament. And this really smooth-talking group called the Judaizers were coming in and saying, listen, we get it, you love Jesus, but it's Jesus plus something else. And ultimately saying that unless you did that, you didn't belong. And that you really aren't believing in the right thing, and then you're not really becoming the the, the Christian that God calls you to be. This is the context of what's going on in Galatians. Now, the Judaizers actually were coming from, honestly, it's a very, I think it's an honest mistake. I mean, again, Jesus was Jewish. The apostles were Jewish. It would only stand to reason that you must become a Jewish. But here's the problem. The gospel says this. The gospel is you are saved by placing your faith and trust in Jesus, period. That's it. That is the gospel, the good news of Jesus, is that you are saved by placing your faith and trust in Jesus, not Jesus plus becoming Jewish. Now, here's part of the struggle is that for you and I, and the last time I checked, no one was going around here saying that you need to become a Jew first. Typically, how it works in the church today is we'll say things like this. Well, we get it that you're a Christian, but now you need to stop cussing, because if you don't stop cussing, then you're not a good Christian or you're not a Christian at all. Or you need to become Lutheran or Baptist or speak in tongues or something else. And the minute you add something to it, you're twisting it. And so Paul is writing to this struggling church who is wrestling with their identity, wrestling with belonging, because here's the thing. They don't have the resources we do. Now, I want you to think about this. I became a Christian about 30 years ago. And, but in that 30 years, I have 2,000 years of history that has guided me. Whether it be through the pastors, through the seminaries, through the schools, my was not i don't have a newly formed faith even though my faith was new the faith itself had a pretty rich history to it how many of you were raised or were raised in a church i want you to think about this for a moment every person that raised your hand you were raised into a tradition that had a pretty rich understanding of who jesus was not a perfect one but a pretty rich one how many of you are rather new to faith came to christ in the last 10 15 years some of you for those of you who are new to faith you actually, while your, your faith is new, faith itself is old. It's been around. There's a rich tradition to it. And here's where the problem comes in. Sometimes we forget that when we read about these disciples or we read about the people in the Bible and we're like, how can they be struggling? What a bunch of morons. I don't get their problem. You read about Israel, the same God who delivered them out of the Red Sea. All of a sudden they're like, maybe God's not real. Ah, you know, But wait a second, you just had this miracle. What happened? When I was a youth pastor in my very first church, we had this kid named Paul. I still, my, <laughs> she knows exactly where I'm going with this. To this day, I love Paul. Paul, Paul is. we've always had a very close connection, and I watched God do some pretty remarkable things in his life. But one day, this young man came to our youth group, and he had been diagnosed with mono. And essentially, the doctor said, the mono is traveling into your organs, and if you don't start resting, you could die. You could have organ failure and could die. And he's freaked out. 17 years old, 16, something like that, comes to youth group freaking out because he doesn't want to die. He's young. So we pray for him. That Sunday night, we gather around, we pray over him, we pray for God's healing. He goes to the doctor and a couple days later. The doctor's like, I don't know what happened, but there's no bacteria left in you. The, whatever was there, the mono, it's not there at all. And the doctor can't explain it. And Paul is like, dude, that's amazing. Now here's the crazy thing. God did a miracle in Paul's life. About three weeks later, I go to lunch with Paul. Jason, yeah, Paul, I don't know if I believe in God. What? But you just had this major miracle that happened. How many of you forget what God has done in your life? Come on. We all do. It's part of our struggle. It's part of being human as we forget what God has done. And when we read about these people in scripture, it's so easy to be judgmental and go, how can they not figure this out until we go back and realize what's going on? Let's talk about this church in Galatia. See, Jesus was crucified in 33 AD. That's what we know from history. We know that 50 days after his crucifixion on Pentecost Sunday, Jesus ascended to heaven or roughly roughly around there. He sent the church out to go, and they begin to do amazing things. And then shortly after that, this guy named Saul, which is also Paul, that's just his Jewish or Hebrew name, Saul begins to persecute the church, and the church is terrified of Saul. And that same year, 33 AD, Jesus has an encounter with Saul, Saul realizes that he's been persecuting the very God he loves. as the, He's become the enemy of that God, not realizing it. And then he, after he has this encounter with God, he has a calling in his life, and he now goes out sharing the gospel with everybody. He goes into the temple courts and starts arguing with people. When I was younger, when I first became a believer, I argued with everybody about faith because I thought that's what my job was supposed to do was to argue with people. Now, here's what's, in the midst of this, 33 years old or 33 A.D., Uh, Paul or Saul at this point, he gets saved. He has this calling from the Lord. And we're going to talk about this for a moment because this is going to matter as we get later on in this text. But check out what happens as he goes out. He has this, uh, he gets blinded. God sends him while he's blind to this guy's house. He then tells another disciple, a guy named Ananias, and says, hey, Ananias, there's this guy named Saul. I know you know who he is. You need to go over to this guy's house, pray for him. And as he's prayed for him, the shells from his eye come off of Saul's eyes. He's filled with the Holy Spirit. He goes and gets baptized, and then he goes out and preaches. A few years later, he now is beginning his first missionary journey, and he basically forms the church in Galatia. About 14 years later, 47 to 49 AD. Now, most of these numbers nobody cares about, but there's a reason why I'm talking about this. See, at this point in history, they didn't have a Bible like we do. This book right here, This book was not fully formed yet. It was still being written in the church in Galatians. They had letters. They knew a little bit, but they had very little. They didn't have seminaries. They didn't have pastors who went years of training. They didn't have church history on the side. In fact, the faith they had was practically brand new. And in fact, it was very simple, a very simple faith that Paul brought to them. See, when Paul was expressing the gospel to them, he didn't have all this rich history. He just proclaimed the gospel that he learned from Jesus. And this is what we talked about last week, Galatians 1, 3 through 5. Grace and peace to you from God the Father, who saved us. Hold on a second. something happened there. Oh, there it goes. Who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. There was nothing about becoming Jewish, nothing about uh, removing certain foods from your diet. It was all about Jesus, about what Jesus had done. And Paul proclaims this simple gospel, and he basically comes in and he says, listen, if you, in Romans ten nine, he says this, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's it. It's a simple gospel. There's not a whole bunch of theology. There's not a whole bunch of doctrines. There's not a belief statement. It was one simple thing. If you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be, what's the word there? Saved. And when we pervert this, when we twist this, this is what happens. We miss the gospel. Now, in a rather short period of time, after God or our Paul founds this church in Galatia, he leaves in about Within seven years, this group of Judaizers comes in and they begin to twist the gospel, but they don't have enough history to know that they're being deceived. They don't realize that the gospel that saved them is being twisted in such a way that now they're losing the gospel. Here's what happens for us. Sometimes the gospel gets perverted and we don't even realize it's happening. Sometimes the gospel gets twisted when we add other things. Now, here's the scary part. They had a few years between the gospel coming to them. We've had decades, and yet we still miss the gospel, don't we? It's still a problem that exists for us. See, the church as an organism has been around for about 2,000 years. We have books upon books. We have theologically trained men and women, schools dedicated to the study of Scripture. We have more information now than at any other time in history. We have the Internet and all all of these things at our disposal, and we still forget the gospel. We forget that it's through Christ that we've been saved through faith, that all we need to do is confess. And here's where it comes down to. Some of the wrong gospels that you've heard, that I've heard, that I've even taught, is that the gospel is really about having a second chance. That it's now it's your time. Now that you've been saved, now you can be a better person. And if you're a better person, then God will approve of you. And then that's all that matters. That's all you need. But that's not what the gospel is. The gospel is not that you have a second chance. It's that you have an endless amount of chances in forgiveness in Christ, regardless of your sin. Amen? And when we, when we make a gospel about second chances, what we're really doing is saying is that the gospel is now about what you do after you receive that. But that's not the point. That's not what it's getting to. Jesus doesn't just give you a second chance. He gives you all of the chances. He laid down his life for you. He took your place. He died so you and I can live. We receive God's grace and peace when we are saved, but we also ignore the woman walking behind me. Did you sneaky up? (laughs) We receive God's grace and peace when we are saved. Now, some of you are like, I can't pay attention to a thing Jason's saying right now, and that's okay. Totally missed that one. (laughs) That was (laughs) excellent. Here's the problem. Now, this is going somewhere. Instead of a gospel of grace and peace, when we add things to it, we actually mess things up and we miss the gospel. Listen to what Paul writes in Galatians 1, 6 through 7. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. There's no such thing as a different gospel. It's either the gospel or it's not. Now, what is this? Are you sure it's an egg? Yeah, pretty sure it's an egg. Because we know what eggs look right. Now, here's the thing. The gospel is simple. It's pure. It's clear. We know what the gospel is because Paul just told it. It's faith in Christ. That's it. But when we add things to the gospel, when we try and make the gospel different, what we're doing is polluting the, the gift, the simpleness of the gospel. Sometimes we do it for good reasons. Now, here's what happens. I got some ham here, right? I take this ham and I mix it in with the egg. Is that still an egg? No, it's an omelet. And an omelet is an egg mixed with something. Now, there's nothing wrong with ham. Ham is actually very delicious. But when you mix it with it, it's no longer just an egg, now it's an egg plus. Sometimes as Christians, what we do is we add things to the gospel thinking, oh, well, you know what? I really need to stop cussing. So if I stop cussing, then God will approve of me. And in doing so, we're now saying that the gospel is not enough, that this egg is not enough. The gospel is simple, much like this egg is. And as soon as we start messing with it, we've now added something to that egg. When Jesus has said, this is enough. Now, here's where people often misunderstand. You want to know what denominations are? I've heard people say, oh, denominations are different religions. No, a true Christian church can be different denominations, because here's all a denomination is. It's just a different expression of the gospel. That's all it is. So like, for instance, us as Lutherans, we're a bunch of scrambled up people. Don't add anything, it's just the egg, it's scrambled eggs. Maybe you're like Baptist and you're like over easy or something, or you're charismatic and you really like your, lo- your, your eggs loose, whatever. The point is, is that as long as the gospel is pure, it's a Christian church. Does that make sense? The minute you start adding to it, even if you're saying, well, you know what the gospel needs? It needs a little bit more salt. It needs a little bit more pepper. That's you adding to the message of Christ. But here's where the real danger is. There are some churches who say they're Christian, that actually what they're doing is not just adding a ham or pepper, which is good. They're adding arsenic. They're actually taking things that are completely contrary to the nature of Jesus. Now, please hear my heart. And if you were raised in this religion, I, I just want to say this in love. Mormonism is an example. Now, this is not a sermon about Mormonism. But Mormonism teaches that it's Jesus plus the angel Moroni, Jesus plus Joseph Smith. And in doing so, they no longer are preaching a gospel of truth. And we can fall into the same trap. We can fall into the same traps. So the difference is, is that, and this is our desire, Lutheranism is great. But you're not saved because you're Lutheran. You're saved because of Jesus. Amen? Amen. And here, there's nothing wrong with the expression of Luther because what Luther ultimately taught, it was about grace. It was about faith. It was about what God did. It's not about what you do. Baptists and Baptist church, truly uh, Baptist church that are gospel-oriented are going to say, listen, it's all about Jesus. They're not adding other things. Understand the gospel. It shapes and changes everything. Can we give it up for Megan? There, so... See, here's what happens. Paul is coming in and saying, "Listen, the gospel is simple. Evidently, somebody's throwing you into confusion with it." He then goes on and says, "This, this is Galatians one eight through nine. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, thank you, Megan." <laughs> Let them be under God's curse. As we have already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you have received or accepted, let them be under God's curse. We want to be a church that preaches the gospel, not just with our words, but with our actions through how we live, how we do community, how we love our city. We want people to realize that it's ultimately about Jesus and that's it. You want to know the reason why we're doing this parenting conference? Because we want to show people the gospel. We want them to see see a Jesus who impacts everyday life, not just people in the church. We we want every person who walks through these doors to encounter a God who's crazy about them. To know that you are saved, not because of anything you've done, but because of what Jesus did. Now, Galatians 1.10, Paul says this, Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God, or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. The reason why Paul could speak so forcefully, so truthfully, Paul understood his identity was rooted in Jesus and the gospel. That encounter that he had on the road to Damascus changed everything for him. Some of you need an encounter with Jesus today. Some of you need to have your eyes opened up so that your marriages can be restored, so that your lives can be, the the struggle that you're having with depression, anxiety. And I'm not saying that if you become a Christian, all of a sudden your marriage gets better or that all of a sudden anxiety doesn't happen. But sometimes, sometimes God wants to step into those things so he can minister to you through those things. They become part of your story. Paul understood his identity because he knew who he was in Christ. He understood what God had done for him. If you've ever read the Apostle Paul, uh, sometimes he comes across with a little bit of a swagger to him. And if you're not careful, you might mistake it for arrogance. Actually, I think some of the disciples may have thought Paul was arrogant, but I don't think Paul was arrogant. I think he was confident. Because here's the difference. And a few months ago, we talked about, actually it was last year, um, we talked about that, uh, we had the uh, iceberg. And it talked about confidence versus arrogance. Arrogance is rooted in insecurity. The most arrogant people are the most insecure people. How many would agree with that? When you're confident, confidence, true confidence comes from security. And the more secure you are in Jesus, the more confident you become. And Paul had an encounter with Jesus that shaped his confidence. His confidence was not in himself, but in the God he loved and served. Amen. Amen. And so as we look at this, we now come in. Now listen to what he says, This, and we're going to get to the text here today. Galatians 1, 11 through 12. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preached is not of human origin. I did not receive it from any man, nor was it taught to me. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. Now pay attention to that word revelation. What's the word? Revelation. That word revelation is interesting, and if you want to put your finger on it, hold it, if you're taking notes, write it down. We're going to get to that in a second. Here's what Paul is saying. The message of the gospel I brought to you it didn't come from within me. I, it's not. It didn't happen because of some self-actualization. It didn't come because he found some self-help scroll that didn't exist. There was no. There was none of the disciples. No disciple actually came and preached to Paul, even when he was trying to murder them. Not even angel came to him proclaiming the gospel. It was Jesus who had a direct encounter with Paul. That's who gave him the gospel. Jesus. And that encounter with Jesus changed him. It shaped him. And as he talks about this word revelation, the word revelation, which is also the last book of the Bible is called revelation, right? Here's what it means. It means apocalypsis. That's what Greek is. The Greek there is apocalypsis. Everybody's like, oh, end times. No, the word apocalypsis doesn't mean end times. What it means is unveiling. A revelation to have An apocalypsis means that the curtain has been withdrawn. Now, I want you to think about what happened to Paul on the road to Damascus when he was confronted with Jesus and Jesus said, hey, why are you persecuting me? He all of a sudden became blind. He had these shells over his eyes he could not see. Until Ananias came three days later and prayed over him and the scales fell from his eyes, he literally had an unveiling. God revealed himself to Paul. So how does Paul deal with, with this false gospel, with these Judaizers that are trying to twist the gospel. He doesn't do it by getting into an argument with them. That's how most people would do it. Well, let's have a debate. No, Paul shares his story. He shares his testimony. Now, how many of you know that your power, that there is power in your testimony, that there's power in your story? But for some of you, you've bought into the wrong belief that only people with really powerful stories are the ones who make an impact. Jason, I don't have a testimony. Jason, I was raised in the church. I've never really done horribly bad things. I don't I don't have much of a story. Now, this is where today, Paul's story is gonna minister, especially to those of you in the church who are raised in the church. Some of you came out of the womb going, hallelujah, right? And I'll tell you, my wife and I have had this conversation many times. My wife has said to me, you know, I don't have a story like yours. I didn't, I didn't grow up in a bad home. My mom and dad loved me. I grew up with church, and she described it this way. I've always had a back pocket Jesus. How many of you have a back pocket Jesus? You've just always known about him? He's always been there? And then you have me. I came to Christ at 13 years old, going into high school. Actually, I think I just turned 14. And I grew up, by the time I was 13, I was a wreck. I literally, I wanted to kill myself. That's not an exaggeration. I had a suicide plan. I was done. I didn't, I didn't feel worthy. I didn't feel loved. I felt like my life was purposeless. I felt like nobody wanted me. That's a pretty big story. And there's more to my story, and maybe another time I'll share that. But some people, and this is what my wife and other Christians have said, well, I don't have a story like yours. I mean, my story is pretty bland, Jason. So no one, like, I don't have a testimony. Here's where some people get it wrong. If you were to open up your Bible today and turn to Acts chapter 9, some of you under your heading, it's going to say these words, Saul's conversion. Did you know that Saul did not have a conversion? He had a calling. Saul always loved God. He believed in the God of the Old Testament. He believed in Yahweh, but he was deceived because he didn't understand that Jesus was the Messiah, the promised Messiah of the Old Testament. And so because his eyes had not been opened yet, everything he, do- he was doing, he thought he was doing for God, for the same God that Jesus is. He just didn't see it yet. Listen to how Paul tells a story. For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism. How intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism. By the way, all these Jews were all advancing in Judaism. Beyond many of my own age, among my own people, and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my father. These traditions are called the laws of Moses and the law of man. And Paul, who was named Saul, that's his Hebrew name. Saul is going, listen, I was the Jew among Jews. If you want to talk about the, the cream of the crop, that was me. I was passionate about God, so passionate that I was willing to kill people who were against the God of the Bible. That was Saul. Now, Saul continues to go on and share his story. Now, you'll notice his story doesn't have sex, drugs, or alcohol, or rock and roll. It doesn't have any of that. His story was he was really religious. He grew up doing religious things. He just didn't know who Jesus was yet. If you're here this morning and you've ever said these words, I wish I had a more powerful story. My story is not as big as somebody else's. There's nothing glamorous to it. Did you know sometimes we romanticize or glamorize the story instead of the gospel? Sometimes when we tell our testimony, particularly people who weren't raised in the church, man, we'll highlight all the horrible things we did. We'll talk about the the sin we did and and look what God did. And and yes, our hearts are always in the right, right place. But when your story is bigger than the gospel, you might be telling the wrong story. Because the point is the gospel. People aren't saved because of the power of your story. They're saved by the power of Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Your story, your testimony is a witness. It's telling something about what God has done. Paul was not converted to Christianity from Judaism. Rather, Paul realized he had a calling when God revealed, unveiled, allowed him to see the Jesus he was persecuting. Uh, One of my favorite theologians, a scholar, a guy named N.T. Wright, I've quoted from him before. He writes this. When Saul, who later would change his name to Paul, came in a flash to believe that Jesus of Nazareth was Israel's Messiah and therefore the world's true Lord, this was a thoroughly Jewish belief. Did you know that all the Jews were waiting for a Messiah? Every Jew. They were all waiting for a Messiah to come who was going to deliver them from Rome. They were expecting a Messiah because the Bible prophesied, talked about this Messiah who would come. Paul was waiting for the Messiah. He did not see that it was Jesus. He didn't understand it because his picture of the Messiah was wrong. He was picturing a Messiah who was going to come with a sword on a horse and slay the enemies. He then goes on to write this. It only made sense within a biblically-fueled worldview, it was, as he insists through this letter, which is Galatians, the coming to fruition of the biblical promises, not their abandonment. There is every reason to suppose that Saul was eager for Israel's Messiah to arrive. He just hadn't expected that he might look like the crucified Jesus. Saul didn't understand that Jesus was going to come as a baby, born in a manger, was going to live a sinless life, but a humble life, not as a king to be served, but as a servant who would come and humble himself before man, who would die on a cross. That didn't make sense to Saul. But I want to read a scripture to you that, quite frankly, most of you are going to know because we usually tell it at Christmas time. But for Saul, this wasn't a Christmas scripture. This was a scripture of a coming king, of the Messiah who would deliver soon as I say this, you're going to recognize it. Isaiah 9, 6-7, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order and establish it with judgment and justice. From that time forward, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Israel, God set Israel apart, not just so they could be a special people. He actually gave them a special message. Originally, Israel was called to be a light to the Gentiles. Every Jew, every Jew in the world was originally called to go out into the whole world and proclaim that this Messiah was coming. Isaiah 49.6, it is too small a thing for you to be my servant to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. When Saul had that encounter with Jesus and he discovered that he had been persecuting the God he loved, he wasn't converted, he was called. His eyes were opened and all of a sudden he realized, wait, all those texts in Isaiah that I've held on to, they've already been fulfilled in the person of Christ. Jesus is that Messiah and that changed Paul instantly. Everything changed for him. If you were raised in the church, if you were raised with a story, I want you to hear this. Did you know I've dedicated my life as a father to make sure my kids never have my story? How many of you in this room wanted your kids to have a better life than you have? Maybe you even had a good life. I've, for me, the greatest testimony that I can have is that my children don't have my story. Because... Their story is not boring. Their story is about God's faithfulness. Every single one of you who was raised by godly parents, raised in the church, your testimony is a testimony of God's faithfulness to your family, to generation after generation. Amen? And that is a story worth telling because what that tells a broken world, why is it that only people who come from really broken and beaten backgrounds are the ones who are most on fire for Jesus? If you were spared... Because of God's grace, that God honored the baptism of your youth, whether it be as an infant or a a teenager. If you were raised in the church, you have a testimony to share because your story is God is faithful. My story, other people's story in here, and maybe you walked away from Jesus for a a season. Maybe you were raised in the church and then you went through that period of rebellion and you came back. You know what? The story is still the same God is faithful. This is the gospel. The gospel is not, oh, I was into drugs, and I was, I was sleeping around, and I, I've been divorced three times, and I've had all these things. No, that's not the gospel. That's God reaching out to a wretch like you and me and rescuing us regardless. And that is just as powerful as somebody saying, Jason, I grew up in Sunday school, and I've heard the gospel. And you know what? At one point in my life, it went from being a, a head knowledge to all of a sudden it captured my heart. And no, you didn't have a conversion. Now all of a sudden you realize you have a calling. I would have much rather had a calling than a conversion. So for those of you here today that think that your story doesn't matter because it's not extravagant, because it doesn't have all these things, praise God you have a calling in your life. Are you living in it? Are you walking in that calling? Listen to what Paul writes. This is how I know he didn't have a conversion. Galatians 1:15 through 16. But when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace... Paul had a calling in his life. And here's the thing. Paul actually at one point was persecuting the very Jesus he was loving. He was an enemy of the God he loved. When he writes in Romans 5.10, For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Paul was writing from personal experience. Some of you here today, you're, you're a Christian on Sunday, and you live like somebody who doesn't love Jesus the rest of the week. And you know why I'm here to tell you this? you can have more. You have a God who has a calling in your life. He wants that calling in your life. Listen to what he says next, and we're going we're gonna to come into the end here, but I, I love this next part. Galatians 1.15b. Why did God call him? Because it pleased him to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles. Did you know that God loves rescuing people? He does. I, I've told many of you, I grew up in San Diego, and it's, gotta be, it's probably got to be such a thrill when you're a lifeguard and you save somebody. Like, I rescued somebody. It's got to feel so good. God loves rescuing people. But, but did you know there's something else that God loves even more? What really brings God supreme pleasure, the most joy, is not just your salvation. Because listen to what Paul says again. It pleased him to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles. Paul could have written the words, to me. See, to me is about salvation. In me is about God using you to reach other people. God, what really gives God pleasure is when Christ is shining in you and through you so that other people can see what God wants to do to them. Does that make sense? Paul understood that he was not the light, he carried the light that he was not the source of salvation. Jesus was the source of salvation. His calling was to go to the Gentiles. What if I were to tell you today, every single one of you in this room has a calling in your life? Every single one of you. These children that are sitting up here, God already has a calling for them. Your children, I want you to think about the children sitting next to you parents. Your son, your your daughter has a calling in their life if they love Jesus. Jesus wants to shine in and through them. What if, what if, the reason God saved you is so He could reveal Jesus in you to your neighbor, to your coworker, to your husband, to your wife, to the kids in your school, to the hospital that you work at, to the bank that you work at. What if God saved you not just so you could be saved, but because he wants to do something in you? He wants to shine in you the gospel that you believe. That starts with the gospel identity. Now Paul understood that his identity ultimately was in Jesus. And so he says this next. My immediate response after this calling from the Lord was not to consult any human being. I did not go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was. But I went to Arabia. Later, I returned to Damascus. Okay, so if you go to Acts chapter 9, and I'll just, I'll tell you the story real quick. So after he gets, after God has this calling in his life, he's blinded. Uh, Ananias prays for him. The scales come off his eyes. It's the revelation that we see. He gets filled with the Holy Spirit. He goes and gets baptized in water, and then he immediately goes to go preach the gospel. He meets some disciples, not the disciples. He doesn't meet the apostles that walked with Jesus. In fact, he doesn't go to them first because God sends him away for a period, about three years. Now, I don't think Paul was avoiding the disciples. I think God led him there because here's the thing. Paul needed some work done in his life. He had some of his own stuff that he had to work through. He didn't need the validation of the disciples, of the apostles, to verify what God had done in him. He already knew what God had done. Some of you in this room know what God has done for you, and you're holding on to that because you're waiting for somebody to validate it. If God has saved you, you don't need validation from a human being. The validation is Christ in you, amen? And so as Paul's going out, here's what happens. (laughs) He goes to Arabia, now this is a bit of Bible Bible geekness. I love this stuff, okay? So Arabia was where Mount Sinai was. Mount Sinai is where God met with Moses. It's where God does all the best work. Paul goes to Arabia and most likely, the idea is Paul's saying is, I went to go meet with Jesus. Paul spent three years learning at the feet of Jesus, working through his stuff. I believe God called Paul to do that because ultimately, Paul needed to be reshaped. He needed to be reformed in his understanding of who God was. He needed to unlearn some things. He had a wrong view of God's grace. He had a wrong view of God's mercy. He had a wrong view of God's goodness and compassion and love. He had to learn how to belong, believe, and become again. Paul didn't actually go and actually meet with the disciples for three years, not out of fear, but here's what I think God was doing. See, the disciples were people too. They were sinful. They needed a Savior just like everybody else did. And so as Paul goes away, imagine if Paul had immediately gone to the disciples and the disciples really working through their own stuff because they're still in process. This guy Saul who was killing the church before who they were all terrified and he comes to them and the disciples go, nope. I get it. You think you had an encounter, but Jesus would never work through someone like you, Paul. Could you imagine what that would have done to the gospel? See, Paul didn't need to be validated by human beings. He was validated through Christ. Some of you need to understand your validation, your identity is in Jesus first, and that's it. Paul was having his life rearranged, reshaped, reformed, transformed. He was having his identity, character, and will shaped into the identity, character, and will of Jesus. Amen? And this is the gospel. When the gospel gets a hold of you, the gospel transforms you. Paul was an angry, judgmental, violent, arrogant, and murderous man before Christ called him and got a hold of him. Here's the thing that happens. Sometimes good-intended Christians can get in the way of what God wants to do because what God is doing doesn't fit our box. Sometimes if you've ever caught yourself saying these words, God could or would never use so-and-so or somebody you might have too small of a picture of god after 3 years paul then goes and meets with the disciple and the only two disciples or the apostles the only two he meets with is peter who in galatians he names cephas which is his aramaic name and james the half brother of jesus after that paul's story spreads like wildfire among the church why because paul's story was one about god's goodness my story is one about God's goodness. Your story is about God's goodness. And when we begin to understand that and we share that with other people, that brings hope to the world because what is the one thing the world needs? Goodness. The world needs Tove. The gospel, when we rightly understand it, reshapes us. Here's the big idea, okay? And if you want to stand with me, we're going to come and take our tithe and offer. I'm going to invite the worst team up. Here's the big idea. Ready for this? Why does any of this matter? Well, for those of you who were raised in the church who don't think you have a story, you have an incredible story. For those of you who came to Christ later on and God rescued, you have an incredible story. Our story, what makes our story powerful is not who we were, but who Jesus is and what Jesus wants to do in and through us. And so here is the big idea. Only an identity and calling rooted in the gospel of Jesus alone. The good news that I am saved by grace through faith in Jesus. Only then can I stand up to the lies of the spiritual, internal, and external enemies in my life. Some of you here need a new identity. You need to understand your identity in Christ. That's how you're going to get past your previous sins. It's not about who you are. It's about who Jesus is. God wants to unleash us to be a force for his goodness, for his tov, to point people to a God who rescues, redeems, and is faithful. Amen? So as we come, I'm going to prepare our hearts. If you're When you're ready, bring your offering, bring your tithe, but let's come and worship God. And here's, here's the thing, If we really understood our worship, if we understood what God really had done for us, our worship would be loud. And I don't mean this verbally loud. I mean we would fully come in saying, God, I'm worshiping you because of what you've done. I'm not just singing songs. I'm worshiping the living God. I'm worshiping the God who has rescued, redeemed, and been faithful. Let us come and worship the King of kings, the Lord of lords. Let us come and worship Jesus, the author of love and life. Amen?